Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. I want to talk to you uh, this morning on the topic of, or really it's a question, how are you at being second? How are you at being second? You know, I am, um, one of the things I do just for fun is I build radio controlled cars and I race them, right, in drag racing against other, other guys who are strangely inclined to do so, <laughs> such as me. And, um, and, 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 you know, and, I, and I've worked my way up the list. So there's a list. There's about 22 people who compete, and you've got to kind of, you start at the bottom, and you've got to race your way up, right? And as you get further up the list, it's kind of easier to stay there because you have less races to get up the list, right? So I'm, I'm number one and number two, right? So there's two classes. I'm first in one. Come on, I'm second in the other. I'm doing this all for my glory. No. Uh, and, and, and I was talking to someone, a mature believer, and I was talking about this, and I was saying, yeah, I'm kind of getting ready. And they said, oh, I hope you're going for the fun. Like, I hope you're going not to win, but, you know, just to be a part of it, maybe to help some others, maybe to encourage. I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I'm all about that. And it spoke to my spirit, how am I at being second? How am I at being second, you know? I, I, I drive to a meeting. I do an early morning recovery meeting uh, in Como. Two mornings a meet, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., right? So I drive on the freeway. It's the busy time. And I've noticed that when I'm on the freeway and I'm driving to my meeting, I have a strong resistance to people merging in front of me. <laughs> but I have no problem with people merging behind they come in, I can sense myself. I start to speak. They look at me, I look at them. They look at me, I look at them. You, you know, it, what is it about the human condition, right? I want to be one car in front. You know, one, like, well, that's going to really make a big difference. Huge difference to my arrival time. You know, huge difference. Sometimes when people cut in front, I keep looking out for them the rest of the trip just to check. Did they get there faster than me? I'm speaking to someone, Amber Slater. How are you at being second? Jesus gives this great um, illustration of this, or he teaches, he speaks to this with his disciples in Mark 10, 32 to 45. Jesus is talking to them about him going to the cross. They, they're kind of just, they're just beginning to grasp what that actually means, and, and they make it all about themselves. And, and, and they, he illustrates to them that actually in his kingdom, he who wants to be first must be last. And that you who want to lead must be a servant to all. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a wrong way around kingdom. It's a kingdom that's the contrary to the world. That actually we should embrace second. I want to go to the club. I want to race. I want to be first. You know, and then the Christian reminds me. You know, hey, it's not about that. It's not about that. Mark 10, 32 to, to 45 says this. Jesus predicts his death. A third time. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death 
and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So Jesus is saying, hey, my mission is to serve, and part of that will be I will even suffer. They are astonished and afraid, it says. That's how they, that's how they respond to that. Huh? Huh? They're, they're not imagining that that's the leader who they're following. They're not imagining that that's not leadership, right? We're looking for a victor. You know, we're looking for someone who's going to make our lives better, someone who's going to be successful and pour out blessing upon us. And he says, oh, no, no, we're going to serve, maybe to the point of death. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Yeah, don't we all? (laughs) Hey, God, would you do whatever I ask? He says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. Right, they're getting a hold of now. God, when Jesus is talking about his suffering and death, he's going to achieve something great. They don't fully understand that, right? But he's talking about the, the rescue of all humanity, that Jesus' death and resurrection is going to usher the whole of humanity into a relationship with God. They kind of get a hold of something of that and that he's going to be elevated in heaven. And what they're saying is, could we be part of that? Could, you know, could we get elevated too? Could one be on your right and one be on your left? And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Which is basically saying, can you die for the sins of the world? They say, we can. <laughs> it's so cool, hey? He's like, we can. Well, yeah, for sure. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But, do, but, but to sit on my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, that means the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Why? The other disciples want to be first too. The other disciples said, hang on a minute. Well, you want to be, hang on, well, I want to be the first among equals, thanks. I want to be the top of the disciples. You know, they're competing against each other. And when Jesus says there, he says, um, hey, you will drink the cup that I drink. He's talking about this, that ultimately they're going to mature to a place, the disciples. They're not there yet. But they're going to mature to a place where they are willing to serve others. But they do get a hold of it. That is what leadership really is. They're going to get to a place where they are willing to suffer. Actually, many disciples actually gave their life ultimately for the gospel, willingly did that. So he's saying you're going to get there, but they're not there yet. Which means there's hope for us, hey? There's hope for me to allow people to merge in front of me. Jesus called them together and said, You know that alone who are regarded... Sorry, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, that means regular people, not believers, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do we really want a servant saviour? Do we really want one? Right? You know, Jesus explains for the third time you know, that he must serve, suffer, die in order to ransom humanity from death. You know, and, and the response of the disciples is astonishment and fear. Astonishment and fear. The disciples prefer a saviour who doesn't suffer and doesn't expect them to. 
Pastor spoke a great word on this the other day, right? You don't hear a lot of the doctrine of suffering preached in churches these days, but Pastor did a pretty good job of it the other day, right? Unpacking some of that, right? What people want is, you know, maybe when people knew the Messiah was coming, the Jews, they expected a military and political leader. That's what they expected. Religious, yes. But ultimately, the good he would bring would be militarily and politically. It would kick out the Romans for sure. They were occupied by an invading force that controlled every part of their lives and took from them and taxed them to death, right? And they were sure that when the Savior came, he would kick out the Romans. Jesus never did it. They were sure that when he came, it would create a change in the political system that would prosper them financially and would benefit them in many ways. He didn't do any of that. didn't do any of that. Instead, he lived his life as of service, an example of service and sacrifice, and said, hey, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, do the same thing as me. And actually, the world is not going to be transformed by a political leader or by a military leader, but it's going to be transformed by everyday people making a decision, I'm laying my life down for service. For who? For you, for you, for you, for you. It's not done by one or two, it's done by all. So Jesus is ushering in this new kingdom, and he's making this point. In Matthew 16, it also recalls Jesus explaining to his disciples another time, right, that he's going to suffer and die, right? That this whole principle of, hey, our whole life is of service. Our whole life is of sacrifice, right, for others. That's how the world's going to be transformed, right? And check out what Peter says in response to it. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. That's how out there it is, right? When Jesus says, hey, I'm laying my life down to serve, and actually it's going to cost me my life, that others might be ransomed, right? He says, never. I will never let that happen. Literally, that's, and then what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, right? So he's saying, hey, that spirit, you got it. They're so wrong. They're not like, they're not like slightly off. They're like completely off, you know? It's like just completely off, and so are we. So are we. You know, I love it. Um, Joyce Meyer, who's this, you know, uh, she's been New York Times best-selling author like, you know, multiplied times, right? She's sold. I tried to find out how many books she's sold. I couldn't find out. You know, it's like I couldn't find out. But she has sold an incredible amount of books, right? She's a Christian minister and she's, she's impacted so many people. She said her worst selling book of all time was called The Love Revolution and it was about serving others. A worst-selling book. And so she conducted a survey asking people to rate topics that they most wanted to hear Christian teaching on. And she said all the topics around self were at the top, right? My best life yet, how I can find purpose, how I can get breakthrough, how I can overcome. The word I featured heavily in the first year. And she said and all the ones that are about serving and sacrifice and helping others, they were all at the bottom of topic. So she says, I preach on it, but I know that's going to be my least listened to message. It's going to be my least read book. You know, interesting, hey? So we think, oh, the disciples, you know, oh, come on, really, you know. But really, we're the same. I'm the same. We're the same. No one wants a suffering saviour who asks us to follow him and do what he does. We prefer a successful, prosperous leader who allows us to focus on ourselves and bring good things into our life. We want, we want a genie, not a God. You know what I'm saying? That's what we want. We want a genie, not a God. We want a small G God that's going to bring the harvest in, you know what I mean, and bring good things into our lives. You know, and we, we think about people of old who would you know, do these sacrifices and that they'd bring good things, but really we're exactly the same. We're exactly the same. We just practice it potentially in a slightly different way. So although Jesus promises incredible blessings 
through serving others. Now and in eternity, the disciples can't get it. They can't seize it. Matthew 16, 25 says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. He's saying this, that actually as you lose yourself in service, you'll find a brand new you you never knew existed. That as you actually lay down your life and make yourself second, instead of being first, you will discover something that is incredible. In this life, yeah, and into eternity. <laughs> you know, there's also in, in humanity this desire for recognition when we do actually serve. So when we do actually push through, right, and help and serve and make a decision, there can be a real desire in us to be recognized. You know, an example of that is, you know, I do certain things around the house, certain housekeeping duties, right, that involve unstacking the dishwasher, cleaning the kitchen. It's pretty limited, but I have some responsibility. If I do more than that, I find it almost impossible not to mention it to Leah. <laughs> you know, if I'm supposed to clean the kitchen, but I've also cleaned the lounge when she comes in, I'm like, hi. I'm, I'm waiting for it. Oh, babe, thank you for cleaning the lounge. Oh, it's like, no, but often she doesn't. So I'll say, oh, lounge was a real mess, hey, earlier. <laughs> then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want from me, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left. Here's what they're saying. If we are going to serve, we better be recognized. Hey, if we are going to serve, we would like some praise for that. Hey, if we are going to serve, we'd love a reward somehow for that. Interesting. I'm happy to serve others if I'm being rewarded for it. I, I saw um, an, uh, a video on social media. And it was a selfie video of someone helping a homeless person, right? And they're helping a homeless person, and, and then they took off the brand new sneakers off their own feet, and they gave them to this homeless person. And I thought, wow, oh, this is incredible generosity. And I looked at the comments, it was like, wow, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're so generous. I was just about to type one, until I suddenly realized, hang on a minute, who filmed this? Oh yeah, their own hand <laughs> filmed it. Yeah. Huh? So, so, get, so get a hold of that. I'm doing a really good act, but I really want you to know about it. I'm doing an incredible selfish act by giving away my brand new sneakers to this poor homeless person. And now I'm telling the whole world about it. Interesting. I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. You know, it's, I will do something nice, but could I please be commended for it? Could I please be remembered for it? Could I please be celebrated for it? You know? When I, when I serve the Connect Group, and when I'm not anymore, I want, I want them to do a, a thank you party for me. Because we, we, we practice honour here. Yeah, yeah, honouring others. <laughs> you know, come on. Oh, it's going quiet. <laughs> when was the last time you did something kind for someone else anonymously? When was the last time you did something kind for someone anonymously? When was the last time you gave a financial gift anonymously? Hid the trail. You know, someone recently really blessed Leah. Leah's been unwell for a, several months. She's had this, keep getting these bacterial infections. She takes antibiotics, they go, they come back. She's really been battling. Please appreciate you praying for her. And, um, and uh, a couple in the church were really generous and they said, hey, we just really sense Leah would 
doing some proper rest. And it's super hard to rest as a mum. And so we want to send her a, a, a couple of nights away in a hotel just to kind of rest. And I said, oh, man, it's so blessed us. I told them. And I loved it. They said, please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone that we did that. You know, I thought, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, what they're saying is, hey, give us the privilege of keeping that, some anonymity around that, you know. <laughs> when was the last time you did some work for one of your work colleagues without, knowing, without them knowing you helped them? Like, just carry some of the slack at work. That's not your responsibility. It's someone else's, but not letting them know you did that. <laughs> Matthew 6 says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I remember in our church in the UK, I was a new believer, and I was really stepping out in faith in God, and I was, I was, on, I was on benefit at the time, like the equivalent of Centrelink at the time, and I was, I'd come from this background of being this kind of broken down drug addict, and God was, God was on the journey of, of healing me, the slow journey of healing. And, um, and I was in the church, I wasn't able to be employed and work, and, you know, and I was giving to God. So I got hold of the principle of tithing, honoring God with your money, and so I did that. Out of my benefit, I was doing that. I was just trusting God. I was honoring God. And what would happen every now and again was there'd just become a financial squeeze where there was just no way out of it. You know, it would be like I just couldn't meet, you know, my, 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 my bills for that week or that month, you know. And I remember several times this happened, several times. Just when that happened, the, the treasurer, this was a smaller church, right? And so the treasurer was the person who would count the offering. And several times the treasurer would come up to me just at the right time, just at the moment where, like, I just had, I was out of all resources to meet the bill, you know, and, and, and they would come to me and they would say to me, hey, someone's put an envelope in the offering with your name on. And so they would give it to me and it would have like 50 pounds in it. It was always, it was always 50 pounds, you know, which, which, which you know, it was, it was more then than it is now, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and it was always just enough, you know, and I just remember thinking, wow. And you know what's so cool about that is I had to thank God. I had to thank God. Oh, you know, I was forced, God, you are so good. You are so faithful. But you know what? If Brian had come and told me, you know, hey, I just feel to bless you with $50, I would have thanked Brian. And I probably would have had more trust in humanity. But what I needed was to develop trust in God. In God. It's so interesting how the disciples are competing when they should be working together. You know, because what happens is that James and John say, hey, can we be at your right and your left? And it says the other disciples were indignant, right? That does not mean they were, they were indignant at the fact that they should have had a heart of service. No, it doesn't mean that. They were indignant because they wanted to be there instead of them. <laughs> so the disciples among them have this kind of competitive spirit, you know, that they want to kind of get one up on each other. <laughs> and so, but really, they should be working 
together. They should be together partnering, helping each other in this obedience to Jesus, in this ushering in this new kingdom, in this helping people. Now they get there. The disciples get there, right? Because when Jesus dies, ascends, goes to heaven, they go through a season of fear, but then they pray, God comes upon them, and they, they rise up. You know, I mean, everything that Jesus taught them, they begin to outwork, and, and they become empowered to do that. And, and the story is now that we hear the message, right? So we know the disciples got there, but, at the, but they're not there at this point. They're just not there at this point. They're indignant. Oh, we want to be celebrated too. They, they've got this competitive spirit. You know, we, we, you know and, and you know what's interesting about helping people? So we, we, with them, they're equals, right? When you help someone who is in need, you're helping a weaker person, right? So you're helping someone who's in a weaker position than you are if you have the means to help them, right? So, and that, that kind of service is the easiest kind of service, Right? So the kind of service that you, when you help someone who's disempowered, when you're empowered, that's the weakest kind of service. But helping someone who's your equal or your competitor is a higher kind of service. Right? So with them, they're, they're together, but they're jostling for who's going to be first. We're all the disciples of Jesus, but can we get into the top three? Or the, you know, could, could I be his favorite, John? I'm the one he loved the most. You know, it's like, you know, can, we get, can, we, can we kind of, so, so there's competition. So actually, when you bless a work colleague who maybe you're in competition with for the promotion, that's a higher form of service than when you help someone who is disempowered. You hear what I'm saying? Because it costs you something. It reveals something of, hey, what are you really doing here? Are you trusting in your works? Are you trusting in the principles of God? How hey, I'm going to love and serve and help you. If God will elevate me, if he wants to elevate me, God will put me where he wants to put me. If God wants me to lead, he'll give me that opportunity to lead. If he doesn't, that's okay too. It's, it's coming to that place of, hey, I'm okay with exactly where I am. I'm not fighting or jostling to get ahead, right? God will do all of that for me. Man, the story of David is an incredible story of this, of someone who has this, this call on their life, but they don't push themselves into the position, but they allow God at the right time and the right season to elevate, you know. <clears throat> There's these rafters they found in a medieval church, and the rafters were what held the roof up, and then they were covered by a ceiling. And obviously the church was ornate, you know, one of these amazing churches that takes like 100 years to build, you know, that you see in, in, in Europe. And, um, and, and it was one of those style churches that so was all ornate inside. But they had to remove the ceiling because there was an issue, a leak or something. And they removed the ceiling and they got to look at the rafters. And they found on the rafters intricately engraved birds and all kinds of um, effort and energy and time had been put into the rafters. And they thought, man, why have they done that when no one's ever going to see it? Why would they do that? And then they found out that they did it because only God would ever see it. Only God would ever know. And it was one thing to decorate the church gloriously, but an even greater thing to decorate something that would never be seen by humans but would you know, please God. Man, if I decorate a good rafter, I want everybody to see it. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Wow. They had something. They were onto this. They got a hold of this. They got a hold of this. You know, I'm going to get some... I'm going to get... My, to please God's enough. To please God is enough. I do not need the praise of man. I do not need the praise of people. It's nice to get it, but I don't need it. This is my prayer for myself. 
The first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus encourages disciples that you can embrace second. You can embrace second. It says, not so with you. Instead, this is verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Greatness in the world is determined by status. So it's by title. You're given a title. In the kingdom, it's by function. It's by function. It's by what you do. I love this. So here's what it's saying. In the world, you're given a title and we, we honor the title. Hey, in the kingdom, no, you do and we honor what's done. So what's happening there is we're not elevating the person, but we're elevating the deed or the act, right? The world's greatness is shown by ruling and in the kingdom, it's by serving. <laughs> Those who give their lives helping others really do though find life. They find life. So there's this immense reward that comes out of it. And, and let me, let me um, illustrate that. It would be great if the team could, could, could come out, the praise and worship team. We're going to wrap up shortly. Um, there's this author that I, Leah and I stumbled across recently, and her name's Dr. Edith Eager. And, and she wrote, she's a psychologist, she wrote her first book at 90, 90 years old, become a massive bestseller. And I, I literally, as I'm reading this, uh, we've, we've read this book. Leah's, actually, I shouldn't say I've been reading it. Leah's reading it, and she gives me the synopsis of each chapter each night, <laughs> which is the way, I, the, the way I love to study. It's my preferable form of study. <laughs> and, so, and so she's unpacking this book, and literally it's like, it's, it's, you know, some books are life-changing. This is, it's like, I feel like, wow, this is changing us. This is, this is, this is changing us. And she is a survivor of Auschwitz. And she said this, those who helped others survived and those who did not died. Right? She said those who helped others survived and those who did not died. She was a dancer when she was a young girl and when she was brought to the camp, she was asked to dance for Dr. Mangler. And so she basically performed this dance as a 14-year-old girl or whatever and he threw a loaf of bread at her you know, as a, on a reward for the dance. She took the bread, she shared it with three other girls. She said, many people did not do that. The minute they got, they kept. The minute they got something, that such was the fear, you know, they would keep it. She says, none of them survived. None of those people had a mentality of, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to stick through this. I'm going to fight. I'm going to look after them. Not one of them survived. She said, I can't tell you a single person who survived. She says, but she shared her bread. Now, she didn't do that because she was some amazing person. She just, she just did that an instinctual response. She later had her back broken by a guard who with the butt of a rifle hit her in the back and broke her spine. And she was on the death march where really they were marching them until they died. And she said along the road, you were just walking over the corpses of others who died further down you know, the march and there was just you know, death all around. And she said she got to a point where she just couldn't go on anymore. She got to a point where she was just at the end of herself. She had a broken back. She's talked now to psychologists and doctors and said, we don't know how you did it. We, do not, we don't know how it's possible to walk that distance with a broken spine, right? But she got to a point and she could go on no longer and she just collapsed into the mud. And as she did, someone pulled her up by the arm and they said, you shared your bread with me. You shared your bread with me. And then another girl, a second one of the three girls who she shared the bread with, came and what they did was they formed a chair with their arms and they kind of carried her the last, however long, the last kilometres, you know, of that trek and she survived. So she said, if, she, if she'd not served, if she'd not helped, 
If she'd not given, she would have died. But because she helped and because she served, she lived. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about. He who is first comes last, and he who is last comes first. Now and in eternity. Now and in eternity. Now and in eternity. Great people get this. People get this. If you talk to CEOs, highly accomplished, successful CEOs, now they'll talk to you about, hey, my job is to empower staff. It's to help staff. It's to invest in. It's to release. It's to help. They've got a hold of, hey, I've got to serve in order to be elevated. I've got to, now, they may not even have the fullness right, of God. They may not even understand the fullness, but the principle stands. The principle stands. That actually, as they make a decision to serve and elevate others, they become elevated by that. They, t- together, God does way more than alone, right? And so they get a hold of this. But how much more, how much more for us as believers to understand, man, I'm laying down my life now, right? Yes, through that service, God's going to do great things, right? But also into eternity, right? Into eternity, right? Where the fullness of that is going to be outlived and enjoyed. It's incredible. It's incredible. We need to get a hold of it. And so I want to encourage you, when you go to work, are you looking for ways to serve or to organize others to help you with your agenda? This week, why not go to work this week with a different attitude, different spirit, I'm not going to see how I can get my work done the quickest and who can help me, but no, no, I'm going to help others. I'm going to help others. How about when you come to church? Do you look for ways to be served or do you look for ways to serve and to help others? You know, are you thinking about, did I get a nice welcome? Has someone noticed me? You know, did I get asked, you know, did I get shown the right seat? You know, are you thinking like that? Or are you thinking about, hey, who's new here? Hey, who's not feeling they fit up? Why is that person on their own? That person looks like they've been crying this morning. What's going on with them? You know, are you others focused or are you self-focused? Huh. Do you secretly expect your spouse and kids, if you have them, to serve you? Or do you serve them? You know, I've noticed I can I come home, like I'll preach this morning, right? I'll preach two services. I mean, we used to do three, right? So I'd do three services, right? Come home tired. I have this expectation my family's going to serve me. <laughs> it's like, what? I get a rude awakening every time I go home with that expectation. <laughs> I should be able, I, I mean, I've deserved to lie on this couch just for an hour or so of peace. Tell that to a five-year-old, <laughs> a nine-year-old, you know, and a wife who's been looking after a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on. Are your friends there to make you feel good or for you to serve them? <laughs> it's possible to move from selfishness to service. In verse 38, it says, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says to them. They say, Can he says, Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? They say yes, they don't get it. But then he says, Well, actually, yes, you will drink the cup I'm baptized with. And what he's saying is ultimately you're gonna get to a place where you are gonna about a be of service. You're gonna really be, you know, a weapon in the kingdom, right? Because you're gonna be able to come to that place where you lay your life down, are of service. And so I wanna encourage you, we can get there. God's working in us. We're better than we were yesterday. We're not as good as we're gonna be tomorrow. So we've got to keep on this journey, you know, service of others, service of others. And I just wanna finish with this. You know, service of others really was a key to me getting out of addiction was a key to me getting out of addiction. When I, when I first got around 12-step recovery, they have a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is your whole purpose is to be of love and service. Your whole purpose. They said, if you want to know God's will, they'll say, love his kids. 
have this saying, if you want to know God's will, love his kids. So what they say is if you now, your will's busted up your whole life, you're a hopeless alcoholic, addict, right? If you want the way out of that, it's, the way out is through service. You now make a decision, I'm loving God's kids. I'm serving, you stop taking, you start giving, right? What does that mean? That means in the meeting, I stop moaning about problems. I start looking for the newcomer saying, mate, how are you doing? What's going, let me listen to your problems, right? I make tea and coffee, right? I help put out the chairs, right? Funny, I came to church, it was the same principle. <laughs> same principle. They said, man, God saved you, now you've got to help others. God saved you, you should be telling others that they might be saved. Hey, God saved you, now you should serve. Hey, would you serve on the kids program? Would you come and do this? Would you lead a connect group now? This principle. And it was interesting that as I helped others, it distracted me from my obsession with my own problems. Like I had all the same problems when I didn't help people as when I did help people. But as I helped people, my problems got smaller. Because I wasn't thinking about them all the time. It's hard to think about your problems when someone's pouring out their problems to you. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to, it's hard to think about your problems when you're busy serving and helping other people, right? You know, I remember also it gave me this sense of purpose. It gave me this sense of purpose. You know, I was kind of waiting to feel better about myself. You know, I'm, you know I was waiting for, 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 for the suicidal thoughts to, to leave. But actually, it was as I helped people and I got this sense of purpose that that began to subside. You know, that fancy suicide began to subside as I actually helped others. I found, man, I can, I can make a difference. I'm of use now. I have a kind of a role now. You know, I had no employment. I had no job. But I had a purpose, you know. And, and my depression lifted. Incredible, incredible. As I helped others, my depression lifted. You know, my de- what, what, my, what, what my internal voice was saying was you're depressed, stay away from people. Hey, you're depressed, stay at home. You know, isolate yourself, right? But the opposite was what would bring me out of it. You know, the opposite was what, and I, and, and I want to just say, if you're struggling with that, I get that's a very real struggle. For some people, that can be huge. That can be huge. But as we step into that little bit by little bit, it's amazing how these things lift off. <laughs> And just finally, it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. When we help others, when we're willing to be second, when we, we are partnering with Jesus in ransoming other people. Right? So here's, 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 here's what I'm saying. Jesus sacrifice his life upon a cross, right? What for? For the ransom of the world. What does that mean? Paying the price, right? Making a way that the whole of humanity might reconnect to God. And now you and I, every time we're of service, we sacrifice, we're partnering in that. We're partnering in that. Now you might be partnering in it that someone might come to faith. Just like we heard that amazing testimony this morning of someone loving a friend and building a relationship and getting to know them. And we had another amazing one on Friday night. We heard about Lucille, you know, her friend. Incredible, right? So maybe you'll see someone come to faith. Right? So maybe literally, you literally, you will see that. Their life will be ransomed. It will go from hell to heaven, right, by the result of you being a true friend and serving them, right? Or maybe it's not going to be that but it's going to be they're going to taste a little bit of heaven. Have you ever seen the look in someone's eyes when you do something just generous and unconditional for them? You know what's awesome being a pastor is you get to do stuff that's, that's from other people or, or is anonymous, but you get to be the giver on behalf of that. And then you watch the person's face. Like, you know, I think about the treasurer when he gave me the envelope, you know, what it would have done for him when he saw the response on my face receiving it you know what I'm saying so, 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 so maybe part of that ransom is going to be that as you help people you're going to be ushering in a little bit of heaven you know every time you listen to someone 
and, and, and they're talking about what's really going on for them and you're really listening to them, right? You're really listening, you're really empathizing. You're healing them. You're part of their healing. You're part of the journey of them finding freedom. They may not find the, I doubt they're going to find the fullness of it through that one conversation, but it, it's a step. It's a step. You know what I'm saying? So we're ransoming people. We're, we're literally changing the world. We're redeeming the world. We're transforming humanity. We have the capacity to do that. It's just if every one of us left here today and said, man, I'm going for a radical transformation. I'm having a servolution in my life. And I'm going to, you will be amazed. It will change your work. Families will change. Homes will change. Communities will change. Listen, the world will change. The world will change. The world will change. Hey, let's stand. We're going to sing together right now. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.